All right, in this video, let's sit down and talk whoa, about whoa, whoa, the whoa, whoa, Martin. You, you've already said a lot more than whatever happens in this story. <laughs> <laughs> let's just sit. <laughs> All right, welcome to the Codex Cantina, where I am Una. And I'm sitting, Crypto. <laughs> you can read this story for free. We will put a link in the description box below for you to check the story out. The Mark on the Wall was written in 1917 during World War One. Virginia Woolf and her husband founded their own printing press and printed more than 1,000 copies themselves. And in labor, it was re-republished in 1921 as part of a collection entitled Monday or Tuesday. That was kind of a fun little narrator voice you put on there. Like, ooh. <laughs> that was my radio voice. <laughs> that was good. <laughs> now, for today's students, this is st a story that is still frequently assigned because it shows good introspective thinking, right? Like, that's all the story is, is just internal logic of this is what I'm thinking. And it's not uncommon that when you're thinking, you're thinking of something, you cut that thread and jump to something else. Right, and you may not come back to that thread. And that's kind of what this story does is we're going to be thinking about something, jump to something else, move on. And that can be incredibly frustrating for a lot of students, but it gets you thinking and analyzing from the perspective of what's important to this lady, what makes her jump subjects, and why is she thinking about maybe some topics that are relevant to her? What, what makes the philosophy of this character this character? And I think the story is good from that perspective. Fun fact, after reading this story, I was researching some things and it popped up on one of my news feeds. And I read an article saying that some people actually don't have introspective thinking. They don't have an internal mm. monologue. And so maybe if you are in school and you struggle with this, maybe you don't have an internal voice of your own. I cannot get my internal voice to shut the hell up. <laughs> Prozac, that's I, what you need. <laughs> I am spacing out off on some other thread, and I'm like, oh my god, were you talking for ten, the last 10 minutes? Because <laughs> Don't, don't right. tell your wife that. <laughs> well, I think it's interesting because I actually have a quote from Virginia Woolf where she addresses some themes in her essay, A Room of One's Own. And she lauded women writers for their skilled prose despite their many setbacks. She wrote of the circumstances of women writers in the 1800s. They had to write in the sitting room, with near constant interruptions and a need to hide their work from people, not their immediate families. Because of the situation, it's a wonder to Wolf that most works by women in her time were novels. Which I think is interesting and says something about how women writers were still expected to be a role of servitude, a role of raising children, a role of cooking, cleaning, all the stuff while trying to create professional or personal creative outlets at the time. And I feel some of that frustration maybe not intentionally in as she describes here but i feel that that jumping and that that distraction element in this story i think is a fair way to put this yeah it's kind of initial reaction that's one thing that i struggled with this story was how it does bounce as or jump as you said from one flow of consciousness to the next and i think that that does a good job of representing what maybe it's like to write when you aren't totally given the freedom to just sit down and let your voice be your voice stream of conscious writing right the idea that i'm trying to have my writing mimic the thought process that we have internally where most writing is you sit down it's edited it's composed it's crafted stream of consciousness is also that but it's meant to be in a way that kind of mimics the way your brain weaves and flows and jumps between subjects yeah 
Yeah. All right. So let's jump into plot and then we'll do our analysis because the plot's going to take me forever. All right. You ready? I'm ready. The narrator sits in a chair. (laughs) Okay. And? That's it. That's the plot. The narrator sits in a chair. (laughs) We're going to get raked over the coals for that one. (laughs) That's the plot is the narrator sits in a chair. And she stares at a a splot. She stares at a spot on the wall and she contemplates life. Let's give it a little bit. Sentence and a half. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Yeah. You you beef it up there. Okay. (laughs) Now, I want to give a quick disclaimer. Okay. Because I think that when we talk about literary interpretations... The best way I describe it is it's looking at the clouds, right? This story may mean something totally different to me than it does to others. A lot of people just talk about the reactions. We like to talk about maybe some of the interpretations and extrapolations that we get from this. This is a story that I feel like can go a lot of different ways because there's so many like philosophical nuggets just sprinkled throughout the story that it's like you might latch onto this in a totally different way. And I think that's cool, and I don't want you to feel upset if I don't talk about your angle. Yeah, because I know that as I was reading through this, I latched on to a couple of specifics, and I I wanted to know more, what does she mean here? Or is that something that's real, historical? Is there more information that there's a meaning behind this? And I think that as a result, uh, I missed a lot of what the story's purpose was. Well, the story's purpose is whatever you make it. Right. This is more on the reader's responsibility side than the authorial, I feel like, side. You read a lot of stories where I think the author does a good job of leading you certain ways to think specific ways and end up at the end result. Virginia Woolf's writing here, from what I can tell, is very open-ended and you might end up at totally different spots. Case in point, for me, I actually had one, one main theme that I kind of focused on through this. There, there was other elements and I kind of chopped them out because I wanted to really focus on this one theme for how I want to talk about this story today. And I want to talk about the idea of feminism. Yeah, that was kind of the one thing that I took away from it as well. I think that maybe we latched on to a couple of different ideas, but the same theme. So the narrator starts off in this room with a man. Okay, she's not alone, right? We have that quote about we, and I think that's fairly obvious. But she is constantly being distracted by this mark on the wall. Uh, my first question for you is there's mentions of chrysanthemums being in bloom in November, but well, it's in January in the story, but chrysanthemums bloom in November. Have you had any thoughts about that? Did that hit you at all? No. No, again, I glossed right over that. There's a lot of different meanings for chrysanthemums in literature in terms of what culture you're from, in terms of uh, honor and respect. But but all of the things that I saw, I could not figure out how to make sense or why she chose to make chrysanthemums part of the opening line and why they're in bloom in January when they shouldn't be in bloom, but there's probably something there, but I couldn't figure out what it was. But she gets up and thinks about how things are lost over time, right? And a lot of times I would say that mankind is defined by what we leave behind. Our legacy is very important to us in terms of what we leave behind, whether it be money, stature, power, uh, name, brand, things in terms of what you've built and are able to pass on to your children. Legacy is something that is genetically something that we even try to pass on generation to generation. Yeah, I try to tell my students this all the time that, you know, in in 100 years, nobody will remember me. But if you're in this book, you're going to get remembered. Uh, You know, Pythagorean lived thousands of years ago, but his name, his legacy still exists to this day. Right. And, And to your point, the reference here is she compares dust on the mantle to the dust that buried Troy. 
right? A, a story told generation to generation passed down in textbooks like what you're describing. Yeah. And then next she thinks of Shakespeare. She says, Shakespeare, well, he will do as well as another, which is a really interesting quote because this is one of the most important men in history, right? Almost all literature in terms of longevity is compared to Shakespeare. And what is Shakespeare? He's one of the first men in literature. Yeah, he's probably the most famous author of all time, right? <laughs> I can't think of another. So when she walks into a room, they're talking about botany, and she's talking about flowers. Now, this might be a bit of a stretch, but again, we have this quote, all the time I'm dressing up the figure of myself in my own mind. So she uses a feminine description of flower as opposed to more of the scientific or, I feel like, more masculine version of botany. Yeah, so here, uh, when I was thinking about this, uh, this was one of the few things that I kind of latched onto, and I thought it was unique, because uh, I think that a lot of times we see flowers as feminine. What is one of the gifts that we give women? Flowers, right? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I, I took this as kind of her trying to break a trope of that idea of that one thing can only be feminine or maybe only one thing can be masculine. Uh, but I also okay. try to think of it as another way that it's our idea of self-image versus societal image mm, mm. of a person. I, I like that. I think that's leading me down the path that I took too because we have women dressing up a lot to meet men's archetype, Right. We have yeah. to be the next Shakespeare, to be the next, you know, in terms of scientific discovery. Women probably feel like a lot of times they're forced into the role of following men, being the next to conquer Troy because of Helen of Troy, right? Or in today's standards, you know, oh, you want to be the next Stephen King or you want to be the next this. and well, or, or is that not what women want? Maybe what they mm. want to become is not to be the next Shakespeare, but to be the next Virginia Woolf or the first yeah. Virginia Woolf to the point here of, from a feminist perspective, right? I don't need Definitely. to fill Shakespeare's shoes. I need to surpass Shakespeare's shoes, Ooh. perhaps with the perspective that he doesn't yeah. have. Yeah, yeah. And one that we're probably going to miss too, right? <laughs> well, and this next point is what kind of brings it home to me, where she talks about smashing the looking glass, which is, to me, a direct reference to Lewis Carroll, another man, who wrote the uh, Through the Looking Glass Alice in Wonderland stories, right? Yeah. But it's the idea of destroying the romantic vision, the feminine vision of yourself to become your own person. Uh, she says the quote that writers will one day we become more abstract, less concrete, which was just prophetic to me because that is exactly what has happened. Yeah, this is one of the other uh, two or three things that I latched on to. So maybe we did a pretty good job, better than we thought here with this. But here I kind of took this as uncertainty versus curiosity. Because uh, okay. with the Lewis Carroll reference, I was thinking of she seems so curious about this spot on the wall. And I'm thinking, oh, okay, the curious cat but she's uncertain if she wants to know what the spot is. And I feel like here that maybe Wolf is saying that, you know, women are unsure of their role in the future and mm. that they're curious what it will be, but maybe there's a little bit of fear there because they don't know what their 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 role could end up being because it could be worse. They know what it is right now. Do you need to smash the current structure to create your own structure of what you could be, to your point? We have the Ooh, quote. yeah. Men, perhaps, should you be a woman, the masculine point of view which governs our lives, which sets the standard, 
which establishes Whitaker's table of precedency, which has become, I suppose, since the war, half a phantom to many men and women, which soon, one may hope, will be laughed into the dustbin where the phantoms go. That was probably, yeah, my favorite quote of the, the story. Yeah. For sure. I think you can argue that that is the most important quote of the story that kind of maybe sums up what we're trying to say here is that this is a push against the the this is a push against the domination of men over women throughout the ages. Do you know much about Whitaker's table of precedency? I looked it up really quick and uh, it is real. And it's basically this idea of the British almanac and saying that men are supposed to rule over women or something like that. I, I didn't I didn't memorize it, but it was it was something like that. It's, it is real, though. Well, it's a succession of power, right? And if the succession okay. of power is designed to always be passed down to other men, where does that leave women? Okay. In this subservient role. So now we come to the nail always being painted over. What did you take from that one? I, I missed this one. Well, maybe it's subtle and maybe it's not there for everyone. But for me, this was the idea that this structure that men have placed into this world is the paint on the wall, right? And we're painting over perhaps some of the, the ideas of the nail. So if we take the idea of the nail to represent femininity and it being painted over our men with their Whitaker's table of precedency, with being compared to Shakespeare as, as the end-all be-all with the looking glass with Lewis Carroll, are we painting over the masculine version of the world onto everyone and thus covering up women covering up the nail covering up the femininity to not allow them to to have that their makes voice sense. pretty deep there for for just the nail <laughs> great job man that points to you sir well right after this is where we have the colonels explore the role of antiquaries seeking evidence of past generations to determine whether they belonged to the camps or tombs yeah and this is where she realizes recognizing the mark is irrelevant yeah right whether she realizes that this is feminism or not on her wall her role is stuck in that whitaker's table of precedency right so yeah, it matters she, not whether she, the mark is there or not right she she has been painted this color by men yeah she's been told this is what you're going to do and she can't break from that right so what does she do now she focuses on the tree outside which what does a tree represent usually it's it's nature Right, but it's also typically slow growth or slow change. So is Virginia Woolf saying that the change that is needed for the to recognition of femininity and the, the, the equal status that, that they deserve is something that will come with slow growth over time? Yeah. She was a little bit wrong, though. I mean, women get the right to vote in just a couple of years after this. And then when it's republished, women have already gained the right to vote. Well, I, I don't think I don't think it stops just at vote, right? Like there's a lot more when it no. comes to equality. No, but I mean, that's the first big change. I mean, that's monumental change of women getting a true voice in the, the political decisions of our country. And of course, we're not there yet. Don't don't get me wrong. I think that we have a long way to go for equality between uh, everybody. But yeah, I, I think that I think that sometimes it can happen at, in, in a spark. So it ends up the mark. Ah, that's a snail. <laughs> Just in, pa in passing, the, the man who was in the room the whole time. Yeah, that's funny, right? Well, it defines what the mark is by the man, right? Well, that's a snail. Yeah. What, did, what did you think about that? This kind of uh, 
broke my heart a little bit that one, it was something that was so mundane. I know that it's supposed to kind of represent, I think, that slow change again, uh, maybe because the snails uh, traditionally they have like the little circle, you know, their little shell or whatever is circular, and that mm-hmm. women are just kind of going in this circular motion uh, throughout their lives. But mm-hmm. I felt like I felt like I, I I didn't want to know. I felt like it broke mm. the story by learning what it was. You know how sometimes open ended is good on stories or movies okay. or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. there is a point in sometimes in a story when you explain too much, Metachlorians, okay. for example. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that I think that Wolf has done this here. You you should you okay. should have closed out the story without knowing what the snail is. So, so for you, you you didn't want to know the mark was a snail. Correct. And correct. Now, I I personally liked that the snail was representative of that slow circular motion that they're stuck in, kind of symbolic of the slow organic growth of a tree. Okay. I also liked that this represented to the main narrator's thought process in terms of being moving on to subjects and subject and subject and subject going around in a circle. This is our thought process too, where we get lost in our own thoughts in this own internal thought spiral, if you will. But I feel like it's more a spider web than a spiral for my brain. And I think that's one thing that maybe makes it very compelling is that for me, I'm not a woman. It's different for us and that's okay. But I don't think I think like that. And so I didn't recognize it as being important or significant because my brain, why scatters and jumps all over the place is more web-like. To be fair though, too, there's, there's an argument to be made that every time she gets to a negative view of perhaps maybe women's role in society, perhaps to the war. There's a lot of war references in this too in terms of the smoke and the fire, but I don't think that was my strongest takeaway. She always came back to the mark. Yeah. Back back to the idea of women being painted over by societal or men's structure put on top of them. That I thought that it was interesting too to compare it to the idea that no matter what happens, whatever thought process that you go down to, we're going to get back to that this is a man's run world. Yeah, I like that. I guess that comes back to the idea at the very end, it's a man who discovers it, and he's very nonchalant about it. And yeah, I guess I just that broke it for me. But that makes sense. Now, in terms of stream of consciousness, we are no noobs when it comes to Faulkner. We've done a lot of Faulkner on this channel. And we've done a lot of James Joyce here recently, too, uh, in terms of our experience with this. Now, Virginia Woolf's style when it comes to the stream of consciousness i notice she will snap back to that mark like we talked about but but i felt like it never really kind of complete completed the thoughts like a lot of these thoughts that we're having here i had to really dig for and i felt like it just it wasn't as authorally intended perhaps as i saw in some of the other authors that we've seen that have used stream of consciousness so i imagine for a lot of writers it could frustrate them a lot of the open ended trails that are just snipped off to come back to the main story with this mark yeah that's a good point i feel like my problem with struggling with wolf is i don't know enough about her this is my very first piece of reading of hers so i feel very ignorant in a lot of ways but I yeah. think I have figured out one thing of why I struggled, and that was this story, as I reflect back on it, felt like a poem, right? Mm. And okay. 
I think as a result, I struggled with it because very difficult for me to analyze. And I think that this story is very much a poem style story. Well, let me ask you a question. I, I like what you said there. Would you say this is more of a, a poetic philosophy? And the two things that I suck at, <laughs> poetry and <laughs> philosophy. So no wonder I struggled with this story. <laughs> yeah. No, I can, see, I can definitely see this as a new literary category as poetic philosophy, right? Yeah. No, I, I think this is definitely different. And let me latch on to something that you said there, too. We are not extremely experienced with Virginia Woolf. I'm not turned off by this. Uh, this is something that we need to, I think, do more Virginia Woolf of. Because if I just threw you in as your first story for, for example, we've done a lot of, like we said, Faulkner. If I just threw you into The Sound and the Fury, I think that's probably one of the worst places to start with him. Because I think it is difficult to start there to really understand William Faulkner's philosophies. I wonder, is this story a bad place to have started Virginia Woolf? I don't know, but I will say that I need to learn more about Virginia Woolf. We are going to do more of her to get that experience, and maybe that will unlock some of the things that maybe seem like mysteries to us right now. Agreed. So in terms of subjective ratings, we typically do a inspectional, just pure enjoyment. What did we take from it? And then also an analytical, what do you think the analysis can bring out and kind of show us uh, in terms of what it means to us as people and as society standards? What are your ratings going to be? So these two are going to be very different this time. Usually most of my ratings are pretty close together. But from an analytical standpoint, because I'm kind of grading myself here. As you said, I think that because we're ignorant of this and we're learning, the same as kind of when we started off with Tolstoy and we struggled. And if you go back and watch our videos, we gave some of his early stuff very low ratings, but we've been consistently going up as we've been delving into our Tolstoy triggered, uh, shameless mm -hmm. plug intended. And <laughs> as, as a result, I think that we've become better at it. So here for yes. uh, the mark on the wall... For an analytical standpoint, I would give it a, a six because we're learning. Definitely, I think it'd be higher through a second pass-through. For a joint, and, uh, I'm going to give it a three because I just didn't enjoy the sporadic, subconscious brain barf that was taking place. I, just, I, I struggled okay. with the enjoyment of it, so I'm going to give that a three. I think from a pure inspectional enjoyment perspective, I'm probably at like a 3.5. I really did not enjoy a lot of the writing here. Uh, there's a lot of work to go through. And in terms of analytical rating, I'm actually even lower than you, where I'm probably at like a five, where my takeaways from this, they felt very subjective, right? And, and, and hey, analyzing the clouds is always subjective. But I feel like I usually feel a lot of authorial guide to lead me to certain points. This felt so open-ended where I'm like, am I supposed to go towards the World War One route on these? Because there was fire, there was flame, there was looking through that. And then there was these direct commentaries about feminism. It was all over the place. So for me to hone in and feel comfortable analytically, I didn't I never read I never reached it. So for me it was a five analytically, which I think is harsh. But to your point earlier, I think we need to get into more wolf to maybe explore that and really understand more of what her ethos is, what her standards are, what her philosophy is. I, we need to learn more about her to feel more comfortable in this area. Well, I think as you've said many times before, it is an author's uh, responsibility to their readers to give them some directions or a map 
uh, into these stories. And I just feel like maybe it's this story or it's us or something did not do a good job of providing some GPS coordinates here. <laughs> yeah, oh. no, I, I agree. And, and maybe we would do more Wolf and we'll come back and see, does that cement or maybe help orient us on some Yeah. Here? Okay. Yeah. So, all right, guys, we do literature breakdowns. We love to do short stories every Monday. Often we do multiple short stories a week, but we promise at least every Monday. If you are down for that, please consider subscribing for more literature discussions. Una out. Peace.